CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Bitstamp and the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, Hash fans. You're watching Coindesk TV. It's Wednesday. It's the winter solstice. It's going to be dark pretty early today, but happy winter solstice. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for being here. I'm Zach. Jen, Will, Wendy, we're the hash. We're going to toss it to Will with some bankruptcy. Oh, sorry. Wendy with some bankruptcy news. Wendy, who is it this time? Who's filing (laughs) for bankruptcy protection? How dare you, sir? I thought winter solstice was yesterday. Anyways, I'm actually kind of not excited about this story, but excited about it because we're finally getting closer to um, Bitcoin miner capitulation, which means the bottom is going to start showing itself. I'm a big believer of $10,000 Bitcoin, but not financial advice. Anyways, core scientific files for bankruptcy at Southern District of Texas Bankruptcy Court. They are one of the largest Bitcoin miners by computing power and operating over 143,000 mining rigs and host another 100,000. They currently have approximately 1,000 to 5,000 creditors. Yikes. The company's stock is down 98% this year. Estimated liabilities are between 1 billion to 10 billion, according to the filing. But I believe as we discussed that yesterday, when you file for bankruptcy, that's like the only checkbox you can click or select, I guess, which is kind of ridiculous. Anyway, so. Um, they apparently they reached a deal with some of their lenders to restructure the debt in a prepackaged bankruptcy. I'm not sure if that would be a chapter 11 or not. I'm not a legal advisor. I actually want to toss this over to Jen because she put her hand up and um, I want to, yeah, I want to hear Jen's take on it. Yeah. So chapter 11 allows the company to keep operating while trying to restructure the debt. And so this morning I went and just did a quick Google of like some notable companies that have gone through chapter 11 and are still surviving. GM, Marvel, and Converse have all gone through Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So maybe there is some hope at the end of the tunnel here for Core. So, I mean, I'm going to kick it off to Will to get the ins and outs of this, but they're going to continue operating. They say they are still cash flow positive and they're just going to, you know, be restructuring to try and figure out how they're going to pay back some of these debts. Will, I'm sure you can give us more of the background on the mining side of things. 
But I just want to point out that this is a little bit different than some of the other bankruptcies we've been speaking about lately. Yeah, I know too much about this. Uh, so you guys are going to have to sit on your hands and listen to me for a second. Before we get into a disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company running media for them. So in terms of Chapter 11 for Core Scientific, there's a lot of things to know about this. They are the largest North American miner. They are publicly listed. They went through a SPAC last year, which is pretty notable that they're able to use the bull market, get listed. And now they're in trouble, right? They're a penny stock. They were once trading for a few dollars. Now they're basically worthless, right? They're down 98 plus percent. Uh, on top of this, we have a lot of unsecured debt, which needs to be looked into as well, which is a bad taste for everybody who's a part of this, right? So we have B. Riley, which is a big financer out there, Shell Energy, the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol for some reason, Kentucky Department of Revenue, Duke Energy, a bunch of other energy firms. I think that this is probably the most important thing to take away from this, from all these minor bankruptcies in Chapter 11s is who's going to be impacted and going to be pissed off in 6, 12, 18 months when the next bull market comes. And I think if you have like a, a long tail effect from anything that happens with the miners, it might be with the energy sector and they might not be as interested in working with Bitcoin miners, which was a huge narrative over the last two years, Bitcoin miners working with energy companies. And if these Bitcoin miners keep popping and failing to control their own financials, well, these energy companies might not have an interest in having that exposure at all. So I think that is one thing to be watching here. There's a lot more inter like interest and details around this chapter 11. They're trying to restructure. They still have cash flows. They're just trying to restructure all this debt, with, uh, which they have about $1 billion in debt. So it's, it's a huge hurdle to get over. I think that is one thing to really walk away from this with. Zach, I'll throw it up to you for your take on the story. Yeah, a lot of bankruptcy all around us in the crypto space. It's chapter seven. That's like the real bad news. That's like done your toast. You're getting liquidated. That's it. Chapter 11 definitely provides an escape hatch, I guess, for these companies to land on their feet in some new capacity down the line. So interesting to see if this ultimately pans out. If they can weather the storm, get protection from some of their, uh, from some of their creditors before the next bull market hits and then come out going firing gangbusters by the time the Bitcoin price keeps coming up. So I don't know. I think like right now, Bitcoin mining firms are really suffering, right? Because it's really just like pretty thin margin business. I think Will probably knows this better than most. You know, it's about where you can identify cheap power and where you can keep cranking out some of those Bitcoins to stay afloat. And obviously right now with Bitcoin down, it becomes a much more difficult calculus. And you're seeing this across the mining sector with, you know, these companies that rushed to go public at the height of last year's boom, um, ultimately hit the public markets at a really bad time relative to where crypto fell in terms of the cyclicality. So uh, yeah, hard one for Core Scientific. They were definitely a big player uh, and hopefully they'll emerge in some sort of uh, way, shape or form on the, other, on the other end of this chapter 11 process. I saw Wendy and Will put their hands up. So I'm going to toss to Wendy and then we'll get Will back. Quick thing. Do I actually question to Will, why don't Bitcoin mining companies take into consideration the current four-year cycle with Bitcoin and altcoins and plan a little bit better around that? Yeah, great thing. It's gonna, I was going to bring that up anyways uh, with my point is a lot of these mining companies rush to public. They rush to go onto NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. Why? Because they want that capital. If you're able to list, you become more liquid. You can uh, sell, sell those shares that you have in a private company and end up pretty well. And Core Scientific actually did that. Their founders sold a lot of shares back in April and May of this year on top of a lot of their common shareholders, basically, who might be wiped out from everything that's going to happen right now. And I think that is sort of the playbook that a lot of people in Bitcoin mining, or anyone really who went public in crypto the last two years did, 
because they wanted to get shares for their work that they put in over the last few years. The flip side, though, is oftentimes with how cyclical Bitcoin is with this four-year cycle, you can't quite bridge the gap between those years, right? And even being public doesn't necessarily mean that you're able to make it to the next four years. You might become a penny stock in between, and you might even go out of business because you have more exposure as a public company. So I think out of this, we really have to ask some questions about should companies that are in Bitcoin and in crypto go public or should they stay private? There's obviously a lot of benefits to going public. You have more liquidity, you have more capital, you have a bigger, broader uh, space to put your name out there. But it's hard to know if you're going to make it to the next cycle. So we'll end the conversation there and boot it over to Jen. All right. We are going off to India, where the Indian Central Bank Governor Shaktikanta Das said at the Business Standard Insight Summit that the next financial crisis will come from private cryptocurrencies if they are allowed to be regulated and not banned outright. He said they have no underlying value. They have huge inherent risks for our macroeconomic and financial stability. And he has yet to hear any credible argument about what public good or what public purpose it serves. Wendy, I'm going to toss this off to you. Uh, what are you feeling when you hear the central bank governor in India saying this about private cryptocurrencies? And I just want to make a quick um, differentiation. When he says private cryptocurrencies, he's talking about crypto as we talk about it, Bitcoin, Ether, altcoins, all that. And when he says public, he's speaking about CBDCs. Uh, okay. So first off, I just am so frustrated with all the news coming out of India because it's like first crypto is legal and then it's not legal and then it's illegal again. And they just keep going back and forth. And it's just really not fair to all the people over in India. Like they like crypto. They embrace technology. I know that India is a very, very um, amazing place that loves technology. So I'm not understanding what the problem is when it comes to crypto. But then when we're talking about a public cryptocurrency, the CBDC, that's what this is all about. And I don't think it's just India that's doing this. I think that every single country, city, town, government um, is kind of against crypto at this point, because if they allow crypto, then it's somewhat going to have be problematic when it comes to the CBDC. So I don't like this any way, shape or form. And I think that crypto needs to be legal everywhere. Yeah, I'll snag it from there. Uh, I think this is a more nuanced discussion that sort of goes back and forth based on what the government wants, right? Any CBDC is going to be an important project for, for these countries going into the next few years because they seem to think that blockchain or some sort of digital asset could be useful for them holding on to the reins of money and keeping money in the public, right? And these private coins, they're harder to make rules around. They're harder to enforce rules around. Uh, and they're permissionless, borderless, you can move them anywhere you want, and they're more difficult to track. But if you have a CBDC, you're going to have a little bit more control from the government. And the Indian government itself has shown that it's more interested in keeping that money in the public than it is in the private. And so that's no shocker to me. And we saw that earlier, earlier this year with the tax reform, right? Where they're like, hey, we're going to throw a 30% tax plus a 1% transaction fee tax on any sort of crypto movement. That's not shocking to me to see them move into this. I think it also really pairs well with what happens in China, right? China has pushed down on crypto so much and so often that has really not gone away. I think that in the US, Western Europe, other places, we're seeing very similar things. So like, to me, this headline is not really that shocking. I think most governments are starting to reckon with what a CBDC could be used for and what Bitcoin really is. And we're going to see more headlines like this one. Zach, up to you. I guess I'm Jen. I'm going to kick it down to Jen. 
Yeah, I was just going to add here that India is holding the presidency of the G20 nation. So it gives um, the country power to set the agenda. And they are very um, adamant about pushing this agenda forward when it comes to crypto regulation. As I was reading the story, I was like, what an opportunistic time to say that crypto will be behind the next financial crisis as everyone has FTX top of mind. I think you, uh, a lot of people might read what this governor is saying and relate it directly to FTX, thinking that FTX is crypto. As I read further in the story, there was this quote that backed up my thought. Um, Das said, I don't think we need to say anything more about our, our stand after the developments over the last one year, including the latest episode around FTX. So it's so important to separate these things because FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, is not a representative of, of ac these actual private cryptocurrencies that he's talking about that he wants to be banned outright. Zach? Yeah, I wanted to say, you know, I think it's just like that backdrop is absolutely present here. And obviously it's in his remarks, as you mentioned, uh, you know, that the, the environment right now is so deeply anti-crypto that pronouncements such as this are going to find uh, more receptive ears, both from maybe consumers who have been considering this stuff and also regulators who are thinking about how to uh, regulate this going forward. So I think like that backdrop is absolutely important and, and, and key to understand and then more broadly, I feel like India crypto regulation has been such a roller coaster in these last few years, right? It's like bullish thing happens, bearish thing happens, bullish thing happens, bearish things happen. Like the like the the back and forth with like India's approach to cryptocurrency has been a bit dizzying. So I'm 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 curious to see what the next sort of plot twist is here because I think initially when we we're talking about some pronouncements from uh, the central bank there that it was going to be sort of uh, a regulated part of India's economy going forward. Everyone was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's great. That's some clarity that we can build around for people who are building crypto projects in India. And now we're sort of back to, oh, no, like we're, we're considering a ban. We need to find ways to, to rein this in. And I think just like that, um, that back and forth has been a bit uh, tiresome, I guess, to the observing, the, the, the folks who are observing this, uh, this play out. So just putting that there, uh, I saw Wendy's hand. I'll throw it over to her. I just wanted to chime in before I gave it back to you is that um, we'll probably be talking about how China is going to ban cryptocurrency and Bitcoin mining again next week because it's just a common bear market theme. It ha pops up literally every month. I, I'll just add in there. I think when we see this hot and cold that Zach's talking about, there's this fear behind, behind that, right? I think the central bank is afraid of what's going to happen. They're afraid of Indians taking up crypto and using crypto instead of using this e-rupee that they're launching. And I, I think we've, we saw that in China. We're seeing that in a lot of other jurisdictions that are trying to launch a CBDC. And it is largely driven by fear. But the great thing is, is that people have options and people have access if they really want to access things like Bitcoin. Zach, why don't you throw us to break? I will throw us to break. I'm going to throw us to break. We're going to take a break. On the flip side of that break, we're going to go back and talk about DCG. Gemini, Genesis, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Liquidity crunch. People over at Gemini still want their money on their earned product. And Genesis and DCG, they need to figure that out. So we'll talk about that after the break. Stick with us. It's The Hash on Coindesk TV. Thanks. Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. 
It's why CryptoCompare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. And welcome back to The Hash. Remember that little Gemini urn snafu? Well, we got to revisit it because it is actually ongoing. Gemini Earn is a program from Gemini the Exchange, which allows you to earn interest on top of your crypto holdings from the exchange. A lot of people rolled into it because, hey, why not earn 7% plus on your crypto asset holdings? The problem with that is that product was built on top of Genesis, which itself is now going through some liquidity issues and has been going on for about a month now. Genesis trading closed off withdrawals from the exchange quite a while ago, and we still have not had a way to resolve the issue. Though this week, new information from Genesis and Gemini says they might have a solution by the end of the week, just in time for Christmas, which would be pretty nice. There's about $900 million worth of assets within this Gemini Earn account, which is now on a Genesis platform. There's about $1.8 billion worth of liabilities on top of Genesis as well, which they're trying to figure out how to get withdrawals going once they have the liquidity issue resolved. Can I kick this one over to Zach? You are a DCG uh, whisperer. So give us a scoop on this story. I mean, I don't know about that, but Coindesk, <laughs> DCG, Genesis, all these people are collectively owned, right? So just full disclosure, Coindesk shares a parent company, DCG. It's the parent company of Coindesk. It's also the parent company of Genesis. And, you know, you say that this is a little snafu, Will. This is 900 million bucks. This is a lot of money, right? These are people who like sign up for some, you know, savings-like accounts with Gemini to get uh, yield on their crypto holdings. And since it was powered by Genesis, now that's not working out so well. So this is a big money that uh, DCG and Genesis are going to have to find ways to scrounge up to make Gemini users whole. There's creditors out there that are probably thinking about doing some sort of prepackaged thing, probably selling some assets from under the DCG umbrella to get some money back out uh, to fix this liquidity problem. Uh, they're going to get a response to this thing, I think, within a week. Whether or not it's going to be resolved within a week, I think is... Uh, unclear from this article, at least, but the response, at least according to the piece, will be returned maybe within about a week's time. Uh, what follows that? Who knows? I mean, I think there's parts of the DCG portfolio that might be able to be sold, uh, you know, to put some money back into uh, into the coffers. But that that process is not going to be resolved anytime soon, I'd imagine. Right? It's sort of been this stalemate, right, where. You know, Genesis has not been forced into bankruptcy protection. Um, they're trying to figure this out. It doesn't seem like an impending sort of catastrophe situation as we've seen with other firms, but it is something that clearly behind the scenes is being worked on. And, you know, what will come out of it is still very much TBD. I'll throw it to Jen. I mean, I think these Gemini users are probably pretty upset that, uh, you know, this thing that they thought was going to give them some uh, 
you know, some interest didn't ultimately pan out. Uh, what do you see this story really being about? Yeah, we talk so much, even on this show, about there being alternatives to the traditional financial system and alternatives to the bank. And, there's, and there are all these financial opportunities that maybe people who wouldn't have access to in the traditional financial world have access to in the crypto world. And so it's sad to see in a bear market, in all of this contagion, that those people who were looking for alternatives are the ones who are suffering. But it, it, I look forward to seeing uh, what this solution is. And I hope that it does go through uh, this morning, I was taking a look at Cameron Winklevoss's Twitter thread, and there was one customer under there that said, thank you, please recover our funds. It was my entire life savings. I think this is a lesson for all of us to take away from this, that a lot of these projects and products aren't regulated in the same way that your traditional financial products are. And if you are going to participate in, in any of these things, to do your own research, only put in what you are willing to lose. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel for the people who had their funds locked up on here and had put all of their life savings into a lot of these platforms thinking that they were going to get rich quick, like a lot of people were talking about during the last bull cycle. Well, yeah, really quick before I give it to Wendy, I, I hate that we're back in a cycle where we have to say, don't put in what you're not willing to lose. I'd like to hope that we're past that just based on the number of companies that have gone public. Like that we have financiers involved, there's institutions now, you know, Tesla's holding Bitcoin, that's still a thing actually. But we still have to say, don't put in more than you're willing to lose because a lot of these people are still trying to figure out how to get these products working. You know, Genesis, big firm, but now they're having bankruptcy or uh, talks and are having liquidity issues. You know, we still have to have that phrase out there, that little disclosure. Wendy, up to you. I just want to comment on the traditional financial system and how like because we talk about that crypto exchanges aren't regulated like banks are. But at the same time, it's like this week or even last week, like JP Morgan got in trouble for fraud. Wells Fargo got, a tr got in trouble for misappropriate or for pr doing predatory practices against their customers. So it's not I think that both industries need a little bit of work is all. And I don't think we should just isolate crypto because banking industry gets in trouble, too. It's just not reported as heavily as it is in mainstream media. All right, we're going to change gears. I think I have the last story of the day. It is about Paxful. We talked about Bitcoin maximalism yesterday. Here's some Bitcoin maxi stuff for you guys. So Paxful, it's a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, crypto marketplace. They're like, Ethereum, that's trash. You're out. You're out of here. No ETH. We're just doing Bitcoin. <laughs> ETH is gone. Oh, wait. Exactly what they we're said. We're keeping <laughs> stable coins, though. Quote. The stable coins are staying. They are on Ethereum, but Ethereum itself is an overly centralized fiat-like thing that is dangerous for users of Paxful, Paxful to have access to. But stablecoins are useful, so we're going to keep them. So anyway, a bit of, a bit, a bit, a bit of, uh, a bit of mixed messaging here. Um, you know, I think uh, we can definitely dig into this one. This is like the good old-fashioned crypto culture war stuff that we can unpack here. So I'm going to toss it to Wendy. Paxful is a is a big big platform in peer to peer uh, Bitcoin trading. Definitely serves a lot of emerging markets around the world. Uh, good product. Uh, the founder Ray, Ray Youssef out here making a stand, saying that uh, Bitcoin is the one the one true coin. W what do you think about this? I just think it's so silly, like to see like the tribalistic stuff happening between different coins. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Like they do different things, and they're good for different things. Like why can't we just have this competition in the market? I'm sure Bitcoin maxis are going to gloat because that's what they do in the bear market. Don't come for me, Bitcoin maxis. I'm tired. It is a Wednesday. 
not interested in arguing with you guys. Leave me and my S coins alone. But again, you guys, if we didn't have Ethereum, we wouldn't have all these really cool things happening with um, Bitcoin. What did we just talk about yesterday, Will? We talk, was it, it wasn't a side chain. It was a drive chain for Bitcoin that kind of allowed for a layer two solutions on Bitcoin so you can build cool things and do stuff kind of similar to ETH. But I think the real story here is not being talked about. And the reason why Paxwell probably delisted um, Ethereum was because I do think Ethereum is going to get some heavy probing into um, with the merge from proof of work to proof of stake because it is starting to come out that some of these proof of stake projects could be securities because of the way the pools work. Not financial advice, uh, not legal advice, just my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I took the wrong thing away from the story, but the whole thing felt like an oxymoron. He talks about how altcoins on Ethereum are scammy and ETH is proof of stake now. So like, let's just get rid of it. But isn't that a centralized player making a centralized decision on behalf of, of the people? <laughs> and so I was like, this thing is just an oxymoron. I don't get it. I think people should have the options and the whole ethos of everything in this industry to me is giving people those options and allowing them to decide. So, Will. Yeah, I'll say it. First off, Ray Youssef, one of the nicest guys in crypto you will ever meet. Not shilling him, but kind of am. He's a really nice guy. If you have a chance to say hi to him at a conference, do it. And we should throw up that tweet also, because look at him. He is ripped and he has made his decision. He is totally okay <laughs> with kicking ETH off his platform. He will punch you in the face and he will not look back. Look at that. Wait, that's him? I love well, it. That is these him. takes lately that you've had are amazing. Yeah. That's apparently on TikTok is... On TikTok, it's it's big boy season apparently. So this, Ooh, I guess, fits. Season. I don't know. Well, he's making big boy moves. Know. This is his platform. He oversees Paxful, and he's making the shots, making the calls. And that looks like a man who knows how to make a decision. Okay, but let's point back to what Zach was saying about Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Here, there's a little crypto culture clash. Sometimes it gets a little like. Oh, it's hard to say what's who's right or wrong. Yes, Ethereum is actually technically still on the platform because you have to use it in order to move stable coins, but they don't seem to be offering it as a service anymore in terms of buying or selling Ethereum. And they have their reasons for it. To me, I think the reasons are a little ludicrous, right? Like if it's a marketplace, let people do what they want. But it's also his platform. And this is a good marketing thing, right? And we see this during the bear market. This happens every bear market. The crypto clash between the Bitcoin maxis and altcoiners intensifies because there's nothing else to talk about. Everybody else got washed out. FTX is gone. Luna is gone. Three Arrow Capital is gone. We don't like those guys. They're out of the conversation now. So let's get back to some good old mudslinging between the two camps. And that's how I see and what's this gonna entire story. And what's going to happen when the bull run comes back, they're going to get on the altcoin grift because you can make more money in transaction fees and all of that fun stuff. It happens every cycle. So. Yeah, the timing is a little, it's, this normally happens, right? Like there's no point in keeping the asset on your exchange if you're not making money from it right now. So let's just get rid of it and then we get a little marketing out of it. That might not be the back. reasons, but that's how I always see these stories. So that's my take on it. Bitcoin maximalism will never die. It'll just, you know, manifest itself in new, you know, boastful, loud um, proclamations. They take on different flavors, you know, and I think it's good that we're getting that back into the conversation, right? Some good old fashioned. <laughs> mud slinging like will said i bet will could take on 2009 ray what do you think this is some pretty big muscles but no i'll protect will at all costs 
Yeah, 2009 just right, everyone. Was, was d- definitely jacked. <laughs> that, that's that's definitely an impressive impressive tweet. So anyway, all right, that's it for the show today. We gotta go. I'm Zach, Will, Wendy, Jen. It's five seconds left. We love you all. Thanks for watching the hash. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to the hash on the CoinDesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secure Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.